Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. It was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. Hey, Elizabeth Dutton. What's up, Zarin? I got a question for you. If you can we'll put your phone down for a second. No, not okay, going to. Okay, well, I got a question for you. Do you know what's ridiculous? I do. Here you go. Tell okay. me what is ridiculous. I'll tell you what's you ridiculous. Know. So, you know, I, I get those emails. I had the whole, like, not really identity theft, but kind of huh? like email. Okay. It started back up again. But Wait, I, no. I started getting emails from colleges again saying, okay. your student, like, I got one today uh-huh. from Thomas More University in, what is this, Kentucky? Yeah. Sure. They're like, you know what? Uh, your student has been selected. You're, they have, you know, impressive potential. Wait, is this like an admissions letter? No, but it's oh. saying like, go ahead and and apply because your kid's rad. Well, oh, I don't have I a kid you. and I don't want it. If I had a kid, I wouldn't want him to go to Thomas. More. I've never heard of it. <laughs> so, but here's the thing. Like it came into my inbox uh-huh. and it pushed out of the top spot an email that I got from Postmates. Oh, no. And Postmates <sighs> uh-huh. sent me an email that said, uh-huh. new fashioned dining has finally arrived. You did it again. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> From the so here's the thing. Yes, go on. They have a thing called Takeout Fit. Uh-huh. Uh huh. The world's first outfit designed for eating the way you actually eat. Okay, but it's an outfit for how you actually eat. Yeah. So it's just like a sheet with a hole in it. Yeah. <laughs> God. Yeah. No. You know, like a uh, tablecloth. You just put your head there, and the hole sure, and everything sure. just fall off, yeah. and you look like yeah. you look fantastic. Well, uh, so it says, you know, I said new fashion dining has finally arrived from the food stabilizing surface. To the hot dish diffusion panel. Okay. Every inch of the takeout fit has been custom made with eating in mind. Plus, we're giving you $4 off $20 with the code 4TAKEOUT. Uh-huh. So you can order your favorite sloppy foods to try it out. See, I was close on this. I'm telling you, with yeah. the hole in the... Go on. Ready to ignore your dining table like never before? <laughs> Check out a few of the features, then head to takeoutfit.com to get yours. It has detachable napkin sleeves. Uh-huh. And they say, we make a mess, we dare you. Yeah. It has a food-stabilizing surface. Food, like your own table? I guess. Like a built-in table. This it is ha- a fit with a built-in table. Yeah, it has an emergency utensil. Like, you know how bomber jackets have the little pocket on the sleeve? Yeah, uh-huh, yeah, for yeah, the map. they stick a spork in it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, okay. there it is. And uh, apparently it only lasts, uh-oh, it only it expires 420. Oh, I actually was interested in this one. Yeah. Well, you I mean, finally here's... did it to me. You well, finally no, it says, came up no, with the, one. No, the, the discount code is only good till 420. The, it's available while supplies last. Okay. So, so where um, do I get one of these uh, tent shirt outfits? Well, you the... Listen to what I said, takeoutfit.com. Thank you. Okay. And uh, yeah, I, let me find out how, hold on a second. I'm going to find out how much this thing is going to cost you. <laughs> okay. What's I got to scroll me? through all this. Give me the takeout fit. Because, uh, you know, I'm willing to spend a does, little to Does it come in the mail or do right. they deliver it uh-huh. through Postmates? Uh, it's 50 bucks. <laughs> 50 bucks. And it we, goes extra small, small, medium, large, extra large. All right, cool. And you get it in May. And it comes with a table. Mm-hmm. All right. 
So there you go. Limited supplies. Oh, damn, that's ridiculous. Yeah, it is. Well, I, if you got a second, now that we've discussed my next fit, <laughs> yes. I got a story for you about your favorite song <gasps> and what it really means. Okay. Of, of course, I also there are the criminal implications and the scams and legal conundrums connected to your favorite song. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> This is Ridiculous Crime, a podcast about absurd and outrageous capers, heists, and cons. It's always 99% murder-free and 100% ridiculous. Elizabeth. Zarin. The Eagles. Yes. They are not your favorite band. No. Correct? Yeah. Correct. Okay. That's correct. But they are the band that wrote and played your favorite song. That is true. Hotel California. I hate to admit it, but yes. Everyone hates that song. Uh, that is my favorite. People song. hate the song. I, oh I thought, yeah, a lot really? of people hate it. Oh, that is such. I thought I know people hate like Freebird because of they mm-hmm. become a joke, and I know there's certain songs people hate that are of that era. You know, some Christopher Cross comes to mind. <laughs> some Peter Frampton comes to mind. But the Eagles, I didn't know that they Frampton were... Frampton comes alive. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but Hotel California is detested. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. But I, I, I'll admit, it you is weathered my, that storm. It, you know what? What do I care? It's my favorite song. Why do you love it? Uh, you know, why does the wind blow? Why does the <laughs> rain fall on the plains? I don't know. The Big Lebowski has that version by the Gypsy Kings. Mm-hmm. It's like a flamenco-y version. Yeah. That's my favorite version, I have to admit. Yeah. Just because, I mean, nothing against the Eagles. It was just, I just really like yeah, that we'll version. Yeah, say that to Joe Walsh's face. Uh, okay. Can I meet the clown <laughs> prince of rock and roll personally? Because I will. Dude, he's like the Ric Flair of rock and roll. Oh, totally. Right? <laughs> totally. Okay. So today I wanted to tell you this story about the song, right? But also about the lyrics, the lyric sheets, and just kind of bask in all of the glory that is the Eagles. Uh-huh. Okay? So, you know, they're, they're kind of like a lean, mean, sinister, somewhat criminal band. Would, mm-hmm. you, would you say that's fair? Yeah. yeah. Yeah? Okay. The Eagles are they're a bunch of dudes who are not from California. Right. I, I looked it up, right? So yeah. Glenn Fry, he was from Detroit. Um, he's a Motown obsessed well, kid. Well, the H is O. H is O, baby. And then Don Henley, he's from Texas. Right. Uh, Joe Walsh was from Kansas. Yep. Don Felder was from Florida. Mm-hmm. And Randy Meisner, the bass player, he was from Nebraska. Yeah. Okay. If you bring them all together, suddenly somehow you get this 100% just sunny yet sinister California there band. There is such a sinister quality to, to them. And right? I love that. <laughs> it's part of what you love, <laughs> it right? It is part of what I love. And they like really leaned into crime, which I respect mm-hmm. personally. Like, and then especially that dude Glenn Fry. Like, even after he left the band, and like when Don Henley went on to sing about like like where have the boys of summer gone? Well, and he baseball wanted to nostalgia. get to the heart of the matter. Exactly. <laughs> Glenn Fry. He was just trying to get back to the heart of the matter. Yeah, right there. Yes, correct. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so Glenn Fry. He just Careful keeps on now. <laughs> writing about the criminals and, and drugs and fast cars. What was his uh Smuggler's Blues? Smuggler's Blues, right? <laughs> That's like the soundtrack of Miami Vice. Oh, it totally. When he was on Miami Vice. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I assume also like mini cocaine related real world crimes too. Probably. I imagine that was the sure. soundtrack playing. Sure. Just, you know what I'm just saying, but so, uh, and the HSO. HSO. Heat is on. The heat is on. <laughs> what did the Eagles... And what was the one like, shake down, break down, you're busted? You're busted, yeah. yeah. See, that was like, yeah, when things that go off the like, rails. Yeah. <laughs> now, uh, what do the Eagles mean to you? I, I keep saying what they are to me. I, I barely love them. Like, mm-hmm. I like them, but I respect them. But like, what are they to you? Eagles, you mean? So, there we go. See, I even I added a, you know, an article that doesn't belong. <laughs> it doesn't make sense to say it without the article, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, what, what was your question again? What do they mean to you? Like, like you know what I mean? As a Californian, like, you're a native I, Californian. Do I have to write an essay what the Eagles mean What do the Eagles to mean me? to you, Elizabeth? I mean, just like, you can say it in a couple words, it you know, like word me, association. I don't care. It it's, reminds me of when I was little. Hearing uh-huh. the music, and it reminds it. I don't know. They capture. I've talked about this before on this show. I believe my mm-hmm. concept of peak California. Totally. And that they are they they are part of that. Okay. They are peak California. So they encapsulate peak California mm-hmm. for you. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, keep all that in mind. I'm going to now tell you uh, an appetizer, if you will. Okay. I'm going to get into a little. What do you call a moose bouche? Right. Mm-hmm. This is a very eagle story. Okay. 
1980. March 20th, to be specific, uh, New York City, Manhattan, to be specific. A 28-year-old truck driver from Texas is in the big city. This dude's name is uh, Joseph Paul Rivera. And Joe Paul has come to Manhattan to speak with the Eagles. Oh. Right? Yeah. You, you said Does California band, but he's like, I'm going to New York. And the reason <laughs> is, you know, he walks up to this big glass and steel building, and that is the Electra Asylum Records building, oh, which is their right. label. So right. he goes to their label, and he takes the elevator up to the label's office. He walks in, and Joe Paul announces himself and says, I would like to speak to the Eagles. And they're like, sir, the Eagles are not, not here, right? So no one takes him seriously. And he's like, no, I would like to speak with the Eagles. They're like, sir. And it's so... What does the 28-year-old Texan truck driver do? He's like, you're not listening to me. So he pulls out a gun. Oh. And he's like, now I got your attention. I've got the talking stick. So right. he re repeats his request. I'd like to speak to the Eagles. And he has the gun for emphasis, right? So now people are listening, at least one of them, right? He's like, no, I, I want to talk to the Eagles. They're like, sir, this is the record label. He's like, oh, can you get them on the phone? Like, just call them up. You have their numbers. Put on, get Glenn Fry or Joe Walsh or... I'll, I'll even talk to Jackson Brown. I know he's not an eagle, but <laughs> I'll talk to I'll talk to him. He can get them the message, right? So now everyone in the office they're freaking out about this. Except for one person, the office manager. They're they're cool with it, not cool with it, but I mean they're a cool-headed customer. Mm -hmm. They're like, "Sir, just come with me into this back office." So the gunman's like, "Okay, am I going to get on the phone and talk to Joe Walsh?" They're like, "Yes, you'll come right this way." So everything's quiet when she gets this guy into the back office until suddenly, boom! Oh. Everyone in the main office assumes it's like, sounds like furniture fell, right? It sounds yeah. like something really bad has happened. Well, really something bad has happened, but nothing fatal. Joe Paul has just fired his pistol into the ceiling tiles. Don't know why. Only the office why manager could say. And then he uh, tells the office manager, look, I really need the Eagles to lend me 2500 bucks. 2500 she, like, bucks. What? And he's like, yeah, man. Just She's like, well, can't you? Take it easy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I yes. added I added that last part. That's good. I like anyway, it. so Joe Paul he tells her this like hard this hard luck story. He's like, my truck was stolen, and uh, I see I was mugged, and then uh, I was laid up in the hospital. And these two buddies of mine they, they took advantage of it. They they sold my truck while I was in the hospital. Now I just need twenty five hundred dollars, guys, and I can go get a new truck, or maybe they'll let me buy my old truck back from them. The office manager surprisingly is moved by this story. So she's like, well done. Henley's from Texas. Maybe he'll care. I don't know. So she tries calling around frantically trying to get Don Henley or Glenn Fry on the yeah. phone. And no luck, right? So meanwhile, the NYPD springs into action because now we have a hostage situation right. inside a, you know, a skyscraper. So they're like, oh, we can't have this in Manhattan. It's bad for business. So I'm like, <laughs> oh, Elizabeth, what do the dedicated detectives of the NYPD do? Can you guess what they do? Well, they, I know what I do, but what did they do? They decided to get on the phone and they call it a radio station. They spoke with the DJ on the air, and the detectives put in a song request. What? They asked the DJ to play Desperado by the <gasps> Eagles. Such a good song, by the way. <laughs> so when the break is, the ad break is over, just before the DJ goes and drops the, the next platter that matters, we get <laughs> DJ Jimmy Fink of WLPH-FM. Oh, he says over the air, this was Desperado, and this one's going out to a certain desperate trucker out there. And then he drops the needle, right? Uh -huh. So he pulls like the full-on Dr. Johnny Fever from WKRP right. in Cincinnati. And this rock and roll spell he casts over the airwaves, it works. When the dude, Joe Paul, hears the Eagles sing the lyrics, Why don't you come to your senses, you're out riding fences? The Texan truck driver, just, he just wets his cheeks with tears. Hell he yeah. just breaks down. He's overcome by the Eagles' whole vibe. They're mesmerizing, stoned in the sun, Laurel Canyon, like peak California energy yes. they have. That somehow they're going to really sad and lonesome roads and road-weary yet horny thing that they got <laughs> yes. going, right? That Eagles <laughs> vibe. It just washes over Joe Paul. Elizabeth, the man, was undone. Nice. Yeah. So Joe Paul, he hands over his gun. He apologizes to everyone for getting loud and making a scene. And then the NYPD rushes in, they arrest him, charges of kidnapping, possessing a weapon, reckless endangerment. And he goes off, boop-a-doo-doo. Doo-doo-doo. <laughs> there, there you go. A small taste of the sinister yet seductive and mind-warping power of the Eagles. Can I tell you how I would have solved that situation how immediately? Would you? Yes. I would have had the um, manager take him to the office and be uh -huh. like, we're going to call Joe Walsh right now. Okay. And then beep, 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 dial my extension. <laughs> yes. I go, hey, everybody, it's me, Joe Walsh. Why don't you come to my, go to the police station, I'll send the money there. He would be so overwhelmed he's talking to Joe Walsh. Oh, I know. He'd, he'd just like, like he'd, he'd soil himself. Faint, and then you could just rush he in. He would just be sitting in yeah. turds. And then 
I tell him, like, look, man, just go home. I'll, I'll, the money will be at your house when you get there. And then you're like, beep, 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 beep. hey, FBI, police. <laughs> this is where he is. There he is. Go Joe, get him. But, like, no shots fired. Like, Joe Walsh, thanks, man. No shots fired. Good call. I like it. You know? Yeah. If I, if Using he doesn't want to talk to— for good. What if he doesn't want to talk, talk to Joe Walsh? I can give him I can give him any member. You, you go, hey, could you do Glenn Fry? Yes. Like, oh, uh, hey, it's Joe Paul, man. Is this you, Glenn Fry? You're just like— Hey, everybody, it's me, Glenn Fry. <gasps> See? Thud. And then you hear so him faint. Good. That's Joe yeah. Paul fainting. And I'll, there you go, falling down again. <laughs> See? Hello? <laughs> Hostage negotiation, my specialty. H-O, man. Yeah. I'm telling you. H so, to the, H-O. H-O, baby. All right. I got a fun fact for you. you yes, got, please. You got a sec? Yes. Okay. Did you know the Eagles' greatest hit, 1971 to 1975, is the best-selling album of the 20th century, mm-hmm. at least for the United States? Yeah. I did not know I that. I knew that. Yeah. They are a low-key juggernaut right? of commerce. Totally. Like, just wealth and success radiating off that sinister oh. energy. It's wild. So... This is also why over the years, many, and I'm talking many people who have uh, both savory and unsavory uh, natures have tried to cash in on the Eagles. Oh, sure. I found that, yeah. Which brings us to their biggest hit song and your favorite song, Hotel California. Yes. A couple questions for you about Mm -hmm. your favorite song. Mm -hmm. Uh, Number one, what's your third favorite part of the song? (laughs) You know what I really part? what I, I love that the oh, the third favorite yeah what's your thing? third favorite part gosh I don't know uh, but I'll tell you what I do love what is do the love? guitars that play together the but I like the band. live version oh, okay that's okay. pretty cool yeah, I listened to a bunch I would agree with you that's the yeah. best did you okay number question number two Elizabeth mm-hmm. did you know it's considered the greatest guitar solo of all time well sure I mean I don't yeah okay I can see yeah that, that dual arpeggios of Joe yeah. Walsh and it's Don amazing. Felder. Yeah, it's it, amazing. The hev- yeah, they're just ascending to the heavens. It's just mm-hmm. yeah. So well, apparently, the uh, readers of Guitarist Magazine they <laughs> voted it the best guitar solo of all time. And I think we can all agree that Guitarist Magazine is probably the final word on all yeah. things guitar what solo. What was their third top one? The top. The number three. <laughs> uh, I wish I had it here before me, but my notes, my notes, where are my notes? I don't have it here before me. Did you know, question number three, Elizabeth, no. that the Eagles, or they were originally going to title their most famous song, Mexican Reggae? What? <laughs> yes. In the liner notes for the Eagles compilation album, The Very Best of the Eagles, uh-huh. there's a section called Conversations with Don Henley and Glenn Fry, <laughs> wherein the two songwriters admit that their band's biggest song, the song that they are most known for, your favorite song, Hotel California, originally what they wanted to call it was Mexican Reggae. Mexican Reggae. It was named that throughout the period, like right up to about when they were going to release the album. Like, the, we should probably give it a real time. Would the chorus be Welcome to the Mexican Reggae? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Jamon. Can you imagine if you had to tell people your favorite song was Mexican reggae? Yeah, I could do it. <laughs> I don't tell, care. You could knuckle up. And who do knows? It. Who oh, cares? Yeah. I don't care. I'll tell whatever. No, I'll I, tell the truth. You always are. You, you speak on it. God, so I do with the chest, Elizabeth. Uh, number four. Did you know that a lot of people believe your favorite song contains coded messages? I do. I think I've heard that. You, do you know about the Reverend in Wisconsin? It says it's like satanic. Yes. Okay. Um, 1980. This dude, Reverend Paul Risley from Cornerstone Church, he mm-hmm. uh, leveled allegations that Hotel California was actually about. The founder of the Church of Satan, Anton LaVey. Right. And at Hotel California referenced some hotel LaVey had recently purchased in the original Den of Sin, San Francisco, in the 1970s. Huh. He's like, yeah, this was not true at all. No. Now, did you ever hear that Hotel California was a winking allusion to a mental hospital? Uh, Specifically, Camarillo State Mental Hospital. Oh, I didn't know that. Again, not true, but yes, that is a known rumor. Well, you can check out anytime you like. But you, you just can never, leave. never leave. Yeah, you could be all checked out up in there. Now, what I would like you to do is check into these uh, commercials we're about to lay oh, on you because we're nice. going to take a little break. That was a good transition. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I got some more Eagle fun facts for you and uh, a heck of a lot of crimes. I'm giddy. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. 
As you know, the world can be a dangerous and unpredictable place. With every crime I've studied, I've learned one thing. Your best line of defense is your vigilance and preparation. You don't want to worry. You just want peace of mind. That's why I recommend Simply Safe Home Security. For every ridiculous robbery and theft we talk about, it's pretty obvious the crimes could be avoided with a solid security system. A good home security system keeps people prepared and aware. Simply Safe is that system. It was named Best Home Security Systems 2024 by U.S. News and World Report. And it doesn't just protect your home from crime, it also alerts you to fire, floods, and other emergencies. They offer sensors and cameras backed by 24-7 professional monitoring for less than a dollar a day. There are no contracts, and there's a 60-day money-back guarantee. Get 20% off any new Simply Safe system when you sign up for Fast Protect Monitoring. Just visit simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. That's simplysafe.com slash ridiculous crime. There's no safe like Simply Safe. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Elizabeth, we're back. Yes. Okay. I'm here. Don Henley. Yeah, what about him? I'm just saying words at you. <laughs> no, Don Henley, the singer and drummer, right? Mm-hmm. He is somebody who has uh, been always rather, well, I don't know, he's been both prickly and tickled by the fans and the response to his words. Yeah. Sometimes, like, he's been quoted saying, some of the wilder interpretations of that song have been amazing, talking about Hotel California. Yeah. And then other times he's like, I'm going to sue you, brother. So it really depends <laughs> on what how he's feeling in the moment, I guess. But anyway, I was, like, trying to find, like, what is the real meaning of Hotel California? So I could, you know, get on your level. I wanted okay. to be able to understand what does she get out of this uh-huh. song, right? So I wanted to find somebody who would decode the song for me. So I checked online. I searched around. Mm-hmm. I found this video that has 2 million views on YouTube. The title of the video is The True Meaning of Hotel California. Mm. Going right to the source. Perfect, sure. right? It's 14 minutes long. Oh. And I kid you not, in the first minute, the narrator says, as cool as it would be if I could tell you the true meaning of Hotel California, that's just not possible. Oh, get out of town. <laughs> you know what? If it takes longer than the song lasts to explain the meaning of it, get out of town. There are thir- yeah, so Ship it's, out, buddy. It's twice as long as the song, the video, and there are 13 <laughs> more minutes to go after he says, I can't tell you the, the meaning. <laughs> well, yeah. <if> you- right? <laughs> and not only that, but I, I don't know, like. I was just like, I'm watching the video because like I still played it. Yes, Elizabeth, I watched I the know. rest of the 13 minutes. You're a minutes. very thorough researcher. I just couldn't help myself, right? It's got 2 million views. I was like, the guy must have something, right? And then I realized, I'm like, wait a minute. This guy was able to pull off 2 million views even though he said, look, y'all, I can't do this. And they're like, let's well, see him not do this. How long do you have to watch the video for it to be clocked as a view? Or does everyone get into, oh, look, I couldn't tell you. And then they... Well, I think bounce what, out and it's still a view. Well, yeah, I don't know. That's a good question. Right? I have no idea. Or how many people just have it as part of the algorithm as like, you know, ambient noise in the background? Yeah, I bet they get a lot of clicks just like uh, because it's titled so well. So people yeah, mm-hmm. click in and they don't watch more than like me, like uh-huh, you know, 10 seconds, like, but then they actually click yeah. out instead of going, oh, I'll just stay here because I did this <laughs> thing. Anyway, he does have one good point. The narrator, he mm-hmm. said at some point, quote, there is no one true meaning to any song. And anyone who tells you otherwise is selling something. That's true. It's totally true. It's great truth. But 
then I thought, wait a minute, bro. You titled your video, The True Meaning of Hotel California, <laughs> and you are indeed selling something. You're selling advertising on YouTube. Yep. So you're just talking about yourself. Yeah. Well, whatever. I Pretty much. So Felder writes the music and they write the words, right? Yeah. So when, when uh, Glenn Fry was imagining this world that he wanted this song to speak to, he saw Hotel California as the story of this person on a long drive across an empty desert, and he pulls into rest somewhere you know, for the night, and he encounters, as in Fry's words, quote, a weird world peopled by freaky characters. And then <laughs> the narrator is, quote, quickly spooked by the claustrophobic feeling of being caught in a disturbing web from which he may never escape. And you're like, okay, that's kind of what you say in the lyrics. I, yeah. It seems a little more heavy-handed. But anyway, in BBC Two interview... Uh, Glenn also said, quote, one line says there's a guy on the highway and the next line says there's a hotel in the distance. Then there's a woman there. Then he walks in. So it's one shots all sort of strung together. And you sort of draw your own conclusions from that, which is really, I think, the brilliance right. of the song. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So then he's also, you know, you know, basically patting himself on the back for this. And he says, quote, we take this guy and we make him like a character in the Magus, where every time he walks through a door, there's a new version of reality. We wanted to write a song just like it was a movie. Mm. Right now, the Magus for you know I don't I didn't know this is a book by John Fowles. It's also the book that inspired David Fincher's film The Game. Oh, I didn't know that. Right, I didn't know I don't know this book at yeah, all. Yeah, nor do I. It's about an English teacher at the Lord Byron School on some Greek island, and uh, he's bored, despondent, self-destructive, suicidal. He meets a Greek recluse who may or may not have been a Nazi sympathizer during the war, and the two men then enter in the psychological game called God Game. And apparently, <laughs> okay. yeah, in the course of their game, the men engage in small plays to conjure up. Uh, one, the world of the Marquis de Sade. Uh, two, Fun. they do parodies of Greek myths. Uh -huh. And three, there's reenactments of Nazi occupations. Oh, those are three winners. <laughs> right? Three winning topics. Anyway, the narrator loses their sense of what is real and what is unreal. And then that was Fry, Glenn Fry's primary inspiration for Hotel California. Did you know that Glenn Fry's um, name is actually Glenn Froy? And he saw a pair of Fry boots and was so inspired he changed his name. I do not believe That's that. That's fake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not buying your, what you're selling so anymore, Elizabeth Dutton. Yeah, well. Okay, uh, Don Henley, the other songwriter I told you about, he always tells the story of what the song is about slightly differently. Mm -hmm. uh, he once told Howard Stern, quote, if you drive into L.A. at night, you can just see this glow on the horizon of lights and the images that start running through your head of Hollywood and all the dreams that you have. So he's much more like into mm -hmm. the fame game. Mm -hmm. And then he, of course, found out, as many people before him had already done, Hollywood dreams can quickly turn dark. Yep. And as Henley then told the CBS News in a much more sanitized version of the story, <laughs> quote, it's a journey from innocence to experience. It's not really about California. It's about America. It's about the dark underbelly of the American dream. It's about excess. It's about narcissism. It's about the music business. It can have a million interpretations. Yeah. Now, I like how he tried to work in end of the innocence. Yeah. <laughs> in there, a little pluggy plug. <laughs> you know, buy my stuff. Man. <laughs> uh, uh, Elizabeth, did you know the song is also about a real hotel? No. Yes. Is it, wait, is it, okay, tell me. The Beverly Hills Hotel, kind of uh -huh. like the Chateau Marmont, was just, yeah. a, which is like a mile east or so on Sunset Boulevard. Mm -hmm. They end up becoming these symbols of Hollywood decadence and rock star glamour in the, polo in the 70s. Lounge in the Beverly, yeah. Yes, in the Polo Lounge, totally. Uh, the Beverly Hills Hotel in particular, it came to represent all the, what was dark and sinister about mm -hmm. the Hollywood uh, experience, all this empty and soulless, everything that the Eagles were encountering when they got successful, mm -hmm. right? So Don Henley put it, quote, we were getting an extensive education in life, in love, in business. Beverly Hills was still a mythical place to us. In that sense, it became something of a symbol. And the hotel, the locus of all that L.A. had come to mean for us, in a sentence, I'd sum it up as the end of innocence, round one. He got it in there again. <laughs> he did. He got it in there so, again. I think it's it's a metaphor for the state itself in terms of how I see it. It's the notion of California, the myth of California. Yes, yeah, totally, completely. Though yeah. so they, they, they kind of go back and forth on this. Now, it's interesting when he says the end of innocence, round one, uh, you know, I always hear him basically just saying cocaine. Like yeah, I, I just hear like, <laughs> so it's like, you know, whatever. It's there. He's all, I got caught in a snowstorm. <laughs> exactly. You know what I'm talking about. All of a sudden, wink, started, the blizzard hit me and I just went with it. Uh, sticking with our theme of cocaine, Elizabeth. <laughs> yes. You know how cocaine is like my least favorite drug? Well, <laughs> not so for the Eagles. Huh. Yeah. yeah. If we were playing a word association game and you said cocaine, I'm pretty sure like the fourth thing I would say would be the Eagles. Right. Because I do know this about the After Eagles. After Stevie Nicks. Yeah, exactly. There'd be a couple people ahead like Rick James, Stevie Nicks, the Eagles? 
But anyway, the Eagles are one of those bands that we go and face with a question of, like, what should we do today? Someone in the band seemed to always have the answer, which was, what if we do some cocaine about it? Why not? You know, let's see where that takes us. <laughs> and so, and look where that happened. Have you ever heard the story about the time Hollywood almost made the Hotel California the film? No. <laughs> yeah. Oh, dear. Yeah. So we, we've been talking about, you know, the sinister side of the Mexican reggae tune you love, right? <laughs> yes. But uh, I promise you, there is a... a, a a story of a giant mound of cocaine that will get in the way of the Hotel California, the movie. Oh, yeah. Just, okay. just let that just tip there down the road. You're on a dark desert highway and in front of you is a giant <laughs> mound of cocaine. Okay. Anyway, Julia Phillips, you know her? Hollywood yes. producer. Yes. Okay. She was a good one too. First female producer to win an Academy Award for Best Picture, 1973, The Sting. Starring Robert Redford and Paul Newman, director mm-hmm. George Roy Hill. Uh, Julia Philbert, she also produced uh, Taxi Driver, yep. uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. She was like Steven Spielberg's go-to uh, when he was like coming up. She, like, she got him his first written and directed credit uh, for E.T. And that was yeah. took a little finagling. Yeah. She, she was big time. So in 1991, she published a tell-all memoir called You'll Never Eat Lunch in This Town Again. So good. You read it. It's so good. Okay, yes. yeah, you know this book. Mm-hmm. So the book basically just drops the pants on everyone you know from the 70s and the 80s in Hollywood. Yeah. And some people from the 60s and mm-hmm. some people who would extend well into the 90s. but And some people who are still very still much today. active today. Yeah. Yeah. So she's just out there telling tales. And uh, she gives a great story about the Eagles. And yes, cocaine was involved. So <laughs> the band was at the time suing David Geffen. And he was apparently their former manager. And they had gotten into it. So sensing an opportunity, Julia Phillips tried to sweep in and go, hey, you want to come make a movie? So in his book, To the Limit, Don Henley tells this story. He recalls the meeting and he wrote, quote, Glenn and I remember that day quite vividly. Now, we have two versions of these same fateful events. So I decided I'd just tell it myself. So okay. without further ado, Elizabeth, I'd like you to close your eyes. <gasps> my eyes are and closed. You're in a mansion in Malibu, right there at the beach. The year is 1974. Hell you yeah. are a brilliantly feathered rainbow-colored parrot. <laughs> You get mad when people mistake you for that cereal-slinging toucan. You are a parrot, girl. That's right. And you are on your perch, overlooking a grand living room, with which itself overlooks the crashing surf of the Pacific Ocean. You know, it's just below you, the house. And on one side of the room is your owner, Hollywood producer, Julia Phillips. She doesn't particularly like you. You were a gift from a Brazilian producer that she no longer speaks to, but she hasn't gotten rid of you yet, so you're still in the house. And on the other side of the room, there are some rock and roll stars and their lawyers. And Julia Phillips... Pause is speaking for a moment. You repeat what Julia has just said, and you say out loud to no one in particular, ah, Hotel California's genius! Ah, Hotel California's genius! Ah. <laughs> now, then you just dig your beak into your armpit feathers as their meeting gets back underway, and everyone just says, oh, that's charming. Yeah. Now, Don Henley and Glenda Fry, they are still getting comfortable on the couch, so you look up to see Julia Phillips drag a giant ashtray across the glass-top coffee table, and on the ashtray is an enormous pile of cocaine. It looks like like it's an homage to the end of Scarface when uh-huh. Pacino dunks his face in that mound of cocaine. Okay. But this is 1974. That movie hasn't even come out yet. They predate that. So anyway, <laughs> being a parrot, you find Julia his offer of cocaine in a business meeting, a bit tacky and definitely distasteful. And surprisingly, so does Don Henley. He says, it's a little early in the day for cocaine for me. He's like, so- this is the last worthless evening I'll ever spend. <laughs> <laughs> in fact, both eagles end up turning down the offered cocaine. Really? Yes, but their lawyer, though, takes a toot. And Julia Phillips <laughs> and her business partner and her lawyers, they all join in for some rails as well. Now that she's all coked up, Julia Phillips pops back up and starts doing her movie pitch. She wants to turn their song, Hotel California, into a blockbuster movie. She's always wanted to make a song where, she, the, where the focus is music. A movie about music. One song. It's just so genius. She does, like, a little more cocaine, uh-huh. and so do the lawyers. The Eagles, they still abstain. Julia's nonplussed by any of this, you know. But you, Elizabeth, you are getting bored with this meeting. So you repeat what Julia just said earlier to Don Henley. Ah, Hotel California's genius. Ah, Hotel California's genius. Julia shoots you a dark look like, would you shut up? Anyway, Glenn Fry, he sits forward. He will now take Julia up on the offer of some cocaine. Glenn Fry, he blows some rails, and Julia pops back up and gets into why Hotel California would make a perfect movie. It's a true cocaine pitch session. Fast, frenetic. It's mostly only makes sense to Julia. Sounds terrible. Yeah, she pauses her pitch, she clears her nose, and she looks right at Glenn Fry, who is busy snorting rails like someone is about to clear the cocaine away from the table to make room for dessert. And he's like, and she says, and I quote, Glenn, are you okay? You look like you're mad at the Coke. Now, Elizabeth, you decide to add your two cents to this meeting. Mad at the Coke! Mad at the Coke! 
Now, the pitch meeting is pretty much going off the rails at this point, right? This pitch meeting from Hell, it continues as the waves crash on the sand below. Even though you are a parrot, you can tell this meeting is going nowhere. Yeah. So you choose violence. You decide <laughs> to repeat something Julia said much earlier. You're like, Don Henley has no star power. Rah! Don Henley has no star power. Rah! So this surprises everyone. Don Henley has no star power? Who would Come say that? On. Don Henley laughs, but not really. It's a fake Hollywood laugh. As he fake laughs, Don Henley stares at Julia Phillips. He knows that she must have said those words. The parrot didn't just come up with them on their own. Then she asks anyone, more cocaine? Even as the though you're just a parrot and you're not into the cocaine, you know this meeting is over. Yeah. Oh, Elizabeth, that was the reason why we don't have Hotel California, the movie. What? Yeah, true story. So but those are two mashed versions together. Let's I'm just say glad Julia Phillips there's... tells one version. She says everyone does the blow. Don Henley's like, we didn't do the blow. I'm glad there's no movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, was, uh, I was surprised that it was a real, real idea. And it, yeah. went, it went far, a lot further than you would think. Right. Anyway, so... People often talk about, though, the cinematic aspects of Hotel California. Uh-huh. You know, I say, tech with that. Let's talk about the music, the yes. lyrics. Yes. Elizabeth, do you have a favorite line from the song? No. No? <laughs> <laughs> I was listening to it, right? And I think my favorite line is, they stab it with their steely knives, but they just can't kill the beast. The reason why I like that, it's a diss of Steely Dan. I didn't know this. Oh, I did not yeah, know that it, either. So I guess Steely Dan had name-checked the Eagles in a song prior. So in response, the Eagles were like, oh, yeah, your blades are dull. Lol. <laughs> I can't stand Steely Dan. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So See, I thought you'd it like makes that. sense then. Yeah, it all so, comes together. You know, we've talked about the, the peak California aspects, mm-hmm. right? And Don Henley would completely agree with you. He has had exactly that. Uh, the song is really about, quote, the excesses of American culture and certain girls we knew. But it was also about the uneasy balance between art and commerce, mm. right? And Glenn Fry said, well, you know what, man? No one in the band has any idea what the song was really about. <laughs> so that's Glenn Fry's problem. <laughs> there it Joe is. Walsh went further, and he said the band didn't have any idea what anything was about or how anything worked. And <laughs> They were lucky that they made it to any of their gigs. That makes sense. Joe Walsh said, quote, everyone wants to know if the song has demonic references and if there's a real Hotel California. <laughs> so to answer that last question, I can say, uh, Elizabeth, did you know the Eagles once sued the Hotel California? Where is it? Is is there one in like Todos Santos? Yes. Good. Wow. Look at wow. you. You are an Eagles super fan. I'm uh, kidding. Who I'm knows? Not. In 2017, the Eagles took Hotel California to court. There is no real, you were right, there is no real Hotel California. There were probably a few spots named Hotel California. Mm-hmm. There, here in Oakland, we yeah. have the California, California Hotel. Hotel. Mm-hmm. So that word combination has probably been used before the Eagles. But uh, the real Hotel California doesn't exist. You're 100% mm-hmm. right, right? But there was one that claimed it was the real Hotel California. And uh, the Washington Post put this way, quote, in the popular song, Hotel California, the Eagles' Don Henley saying, you can check out any time you like, but you can never leave. That isn't the case at Hotel California Toto Santos, an actual 11-room hotel in Toto Santos, Mexico, from which guests can both check out and leave. So, <laughs> I would hope so. Yeah, right. Anyway, the Eagles, they took this hotel in Mexico to court in America for copyright infringement. Uh, back to the Post, quote, the lawsuit claimed the hotel sells merchandise, including T-shirts, posters, sweatshirts, bathrobes, keychains, playing cards, mugs, guitar picks, and refrigerator magnets featuring the band's name and the cover art from the 1976 album. Oh, wow. As soon as we're done with this, I'm going online and I'm buying you a whole pack of Hotel California bathrobes. Just, <laughs> just you can lounge around your crime dojo. Why not? Yeah. So in the lawsuit, the Eagles versus the Hotel California, there was one other <laughs> point of contention that I thought was just awesome. Well, hilarious. I don't know. Whatever. The band contended in its lawsuit that the hotel, quote, actively encouraged consumers to believe that the hotel in Toto Santos is associated with the Eagles to further their sale of all the merchandise, right? right? But they say, quote, that the hotel plays Hotel California throughout its halls and its <laughs> lobbies. Just all the time. That sounds like a nightmare. I, I love this time. song, but it sounds like a nightmare. Oh, dude, do you imagine hearing it 237 times no. a day? No, I, because I would I would check out any time I heard that. <laughs> It'd be like the other day, you're at a mall and you have Christmas music, uh-huh. except for Christmas never ends. Oh, my God. I had a job once where we had like a squawk box mm-hmm. and you could have the like the, the radio on it. Okay. And people would always want to put on the Christmas music when it became Christmas season. Yeah. And I swear to God, if I heard Santa Baby one more time, I was going to put my fist <laughs> through everyone's monitors. <laughs> and have all day long, over and over. Get a better playlist. So you understand their pain. I totally understand. <laughs>
<laughs> well, also, I find interesting that your favorite song, as we've basically now discovered, <laughs> is a soft form of torture for some people out there. When that they tracks. hear it, they immediately think of like cleaning toilets, making beds, as Don Henley tells them they can never leave. You know, like, that's just their life. Makes like, sense. Oh. Anyway, back to the faux Hotel California lawsuit. Yes. So the band, they sue this Mexican hotel for calling themselves Hotel California and, and subjecting their employees to the song 237 times a day. But to be fair to the hotel, many guests had drawn this comparison and conclusion on their own. They had said, like, you know, look, these certain things compare yeah. well to the song. So for one, there was the Mission Church of Pilar. The mission is the, located adjacent to the faux Hotel California. And mm-hmm. as you know, there's the mission bell you cited the mis- in the yeah. song. All right, yeah. So then... Then there was the uh, the fact that you have to uh, drive, quote, on a dark desert highway because okay. no matter if you come from the south or the east, you're t- coming across a dark desert highway. Right. That's like two things right there. There it is. I mean, we're practically coming up with you know Christian miracles over here. <laughs> turns out that despite these uh, normal coincidences that other people have noticed, the Mission Bells, Desert Highway, this does not a Hotel California make yeah. in the eyes of the court. Right. So, But in a fun twist, though, and it was the original fake Hotel California that first wanted to sue the Eagles. And oh. why? For using the hotel's likeness yeah. for their album art. I'll tell you who that was after this quick break. Oh, I'm excited. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh, my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And, of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on Wasp. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us. They burned us and subject us to really horrible, uh, cruel and unusual punishment. After my personal experience at Provo Canyon School, I was shocked to learn that a man named Robert Litchfield, a man who got his start at the school that I went to, would go on to create a multi-million dollar empire. He was trying to brand us, so we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. The Worldwide Association of Specialty Programs and Schools. They prey on, you know, a parent's really natural and beautiful love for their children in a really, really, unfortunately, effective way. At this time in my life now, if someone presented this program to me, and not just because I've already experienced it, sham, scam, beware. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi there, I'm Bob Pittman, Chairman and CEO of iHeartMedia. Welcome to Math & Magic, Stories from the Frontiers of Marketing. This week, I'm talking to acclaimed musician and entrepreneur, Mr. Worldwide himself, Pitbull. A lot of artists in general, people that are very creative, sometimes tend to overthink. That's one of my number one rules. Don't ever overthink. You can think ahead, but don't overthink. And what I mean by that is when they start to write a record, they're like, oh, that's not the line. Oh, that's not this. Oh, it's not that. And everybody has a creative process. I'm not knocking it. For me, I just let it flow. In these exciting times, we're looking to the math, the strategy and analytics, and the magic, the creative spark more than ever. Listen to Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
Elizabeth. Zarin Burnett. You ready to hear more about your favorite song? Of course. Okay, well... Since there was no real Hotel California, right, they had still to embody this for the cover because they named the album, as you know, Hotel California, right? Yeah. So they told this photographer, look, man, you got to find a hotel that is Hotel California. So the guy's like, okay, okay, I'll do that. And then Don Henley took him aside and he's like, I want it to have a sinister edge. That, that is <laughs> yes. a quote, sinister edge. So <laughs> the photographer, this dude, John Kosh, he settled on the Beverly Hills Hotel. And he loved its iconic architectural shapes, like the Moorish, like, uh, you know, design. Mm-hmm. But to get his now iconic shot, he had to nearly risk his life. The dude was, I'll just let him tell it. Quote, to get the perfect picture, David and I had perched nervously atop a 60-foot cherry picker, dangling over Sunset Boulevard in rush hour, shooting blindly into the sun. Wow. You know how hard it is to be shoot blindly yeah. into the sun and then to be 60 feet over L.A. traffic? Oh, my God. Ooh, anyway, I love the commitment to their art. Yeah. So the album uh, is on the cover shot. It comes out. Everybody loves it. Hotel California becomes this instant classic. The album cover is instant classic. The photo makes the Beverly Hills Hotel iconic. All of a sudden, they got all these hippies in there, and they hate it. They're just um. like, wait a minute, wait a minute. This sucks. All these hippies are flocking here. They're scaring away the old people. <laughs> So they don't want this cocaine hippie band like profiting off their image. So they go to like sue the Eagles. And at first they go after the photographer. And so Kosh says, quote, as the sales of Hotel California went through the roof, lawyers for the Beverly Hills Hotel threatened me with a cease and desist action. Right. So bad news. Right away. But yeah. He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. The photographer, he's got like mafia, like, you know, conciliary brain. He's mm-hmm. like, well, think about this. And so he goes and he talks to the hotel and he's like, check your balance sheet and notice the uptick in bookings. They're like, yeah. They're like, yeah. Money spends, right? Yeah. So it's yeah. not old people, it's young people. They live longer. So, hey, look, this is all good for you. The numbers had not only that tripled, the bookings had tripled. Wow. So all of a sudden, the legal threats, they dissolved away, like, uh, you know, like somebody dropping well, like, why cotton would they, candy in a puddle. Why would they go after the photographer when they go after the label? But they can the start him because he has the right. So they'd does he? Or does, I would think it would be licensed It's his out. photo, yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. That's what they yeah. sued, so... Okay, so where was I? Oh, right, cocaine. Yeah. So <laughs> I got another fun fact for you about the Eagles that I was looking up. While they were recording this album, uh, Black Sabbath, of all people, came to them and were like, you okay, mate? It's like, oh, wow. Black Sabbath. So uh, did you know when they were recording Hotel California, they did not record it in California? No, I didn't know that. <laughs> yeah, they recorded all their <laughs> albums up to that point at the record plant in okay. L.A. Yeah. So then all of a sudden they went out and they decided uh, they would— uh, you know, record the next album in Miami. Well, sometimes you need to take a step back to have perspective on something. I wish that was the answer. Do you know um, why they did it? <laughs> cocaine. No, this actually wasn't <laughs> cocaine. This is surprisingly. Their producer was scared of earthquakes. Wow. He's like, if you want me to record it, I'm not coming to L.A., man. Because he what? lived through an earthquake. He fell out of bed. He's like, no, yeah. that's it. I'm out of here. Ah, oh, what a wimp. <laughs> he made him record in Miami. So at the same time, Black Sabbath was in the adjacent studio in Miami, and they were, like, warming up for their album. Because they're just doing, like, practice sessions while the, the Eagles are recording their album, right? So the Eagles later had to re-record one of their tracks because Black Sabbath was so loud. You could hear it on the masters oh, on the, wow. the song, The Last Ballad. You could hear Black Sabbath on the— Wow. <laughs> so they had to go back and redo it. Yeah, they had Sabbath bleeding through on the Masters. <laughs> anyway, the Eagles, when they leave the studio, Sabbath comes in there and they start working, right? And the Eagles, they clear out. Ozzy Osbourne, Tony Iommi, they all come in and, and the boys move in and start recording, but they can't. Why can't they? Cocaine. As Tony Iommi recalled, quote, before we could start recording, we had to scrape all the cocaine out of the mixing board. I think uh, they left about a pound of cocaine in the board. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> a pound of cocaine. <laughs> so it should surprise no one that the Eagles at this point were so blown out. They couldn't even remember how to re- record their famous song. Their most yeah. famous song, they didn't know it. So like, I mean, to be fair, it was a brand new song, right? right. But like, so they were sitting there in the studio in Miami. Don Felder and Joe Walsh, they're playing Hotel California. And Don Henley's like, no, 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 no. What, what, what is that? That's not the song, man. Like, no, play the song. Play the song like you played it before. And Don Felder's like, yeah, man, I got to admit something. I don't remember how it goes. It's been like a year since I wrote that, man. I don't know the song. Oh, like, what no. do you mean? He's like, like, Joe, play it. He's like, well, he, I've been playing what he's been playing. So what did the Eagles do? How did, can they save their most famous song? According to Don Felder, quote, we had to call my housekeeper in Malibu, who took the cassette, put it in a blaster, and played it with the phone, held up to the blaster. It was no. close enough to the demo to make Don happy. So that's how they did it. A boombox is how you have your favorite song. And <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, housekeepers in Malibu. Anyway, Elizabeth, question. Yes. Did you know that someone once stole the original lyrics to Hotel California? 
No, I didn't. Yeah, not just that, but a bunch of other hit songs by the Eagles. And the theft only came to light when that same person tried to auction them off for millions of dollars. Whoa. Yeah, yeah. Do you know uh, what Manhattan DA Alvin Bragg Jr. is doing right now when he's not trying to prosecute former President Donald Trump? Uh, I don't know, fortifying the security in his home? <laughs> no, well, probably that, yes. <laughs> he's out there trying to get justice for the Eagles. Yes. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> On July 12th, last year, 2022, the Manhattan DA, he announced that he was bringing charges against three men for trying to run an Eagles-based con job. An Eagles-based con? Yeah. There's Glenn, Glenn Horowitz, 66, Edward Kaczynski, 59, and Craig Inciardi, 58, were charged with crimes related to, quote, a conspiracy involving the possession of approximately 100 pages of Don Henley's handwritten notes and lyrics for the Eagles album Hotel California, including lyrics to the songs Hotel California, Life in the Fast Lane, and New Kid in Town. Wow. Now, now who would think? Who would possibly think they could pull a fast one on the cocaine cowboys of Southern California? I mean, come on. But apparently a lot of people did, and these guys got in line. They are like, hey, it's our turn. So, and they worked hard at it, allegedly. Uh-huh. In a 2007 New York Times profile, co-defendant Horowitz called himself, quote, a terrific combination of a scholar and a grifter. These he are his own words. That? Yes. Oh, that's amazing. So Kozinski, he was also no stranger to controversy either. In 2015, there was an arbitrator who decided against him after he was accused of cutting out a client from a Michael Jackson memorabilia sale. <laughs> he had to pay $600,000 in that one, right? Now, how about the time when he went to court against Madonna? She wanted to block his sale of a letter she had written to Tupac. Oh, <laughs> I remember yeah, that. Right? Yeah, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that guy. So yeah, the I totally just, remember that. This group of gentleman thieves laid his target. Allegedly. Allegedly. Now, according to the Manhattan DA's office, quote, despite knowing that the materials were stolen, the defendants attempted to sell the manuscripts, manufactured false provenance, and lied to auction houses, potential buyers, and law enforcement about the origin of the material. The manuscripts are collectively valued at over $1 million. And that number is actually kind of low, because I went and I looked. There's been a sudden jump in the prices uh, for rock and celebrity memorabilia. Oh, really? Huh. Uh, in 2020, Paul McCartney's lyric sheet for Hey Jude sold for $910,000. Just one lyric sheet. We got 100 wow. pages or whatever here. So also, there was a, you, how about an instrument? You got an instrument for sale? Kurt Cobain's guitar from MTV Unplugged. Do you yeah. know how much it went for? Six million dollars. Six million dollars? Yeah. Who yeah. bought it? You can thank hedge fund investors for those prices. Ugh, they think yeah. it's a good now safe investment, so they're buying it up like what they did to art. Yeah, yeah. So this brings us to, back to Hotel California and the Eagles' other handwritten lyric sheet. So the story goes, in the late 70s, the Eagles decided someone needed to tell their story, right? Their egos had gotten so big, they're like, we should have a book about us, right? Yeah. So they, the band hired a biographer and this is where the accounts start to differ. The biographer allegedly was given the handwritten lyrics along with other Eagles memorabilia. Uh But then the book was never written. So he hung on to the lyric sheets until apparently retirement age. And then Uh suddenly he was like, allegedly sold them to a rare books dealer in 2005. Interesting. That rare book dealer was the defendant Horowitz, the scholar grifter. Oh, boy. Okay, so some time passes, and the uh, Horowitz, he sells the Eagles lyrics to two other men, his co-defendants, Kosinski and Inciardi. Uh-huh. Now, enter Detective Don Henley. Now, Don was on the case, <laughs> right? No stranger to a courtroom. Henley, he caught wind that Inciardi and Kosinski were in the market to sell his handwritten lyrics and his basically his diary. Yeah. And he wanted to take them to court, so he contacts the LAPD. It takes him twice. He contacts them in April 2012, and then again in 2014. They're like, okay, Don, fine, we'll do something about it. So the report's filed, a case is made. The defendants were approached by the police and interrogated, right? And the defendants were told that Henley demanded his property back. Mm -hmm. At this point, things start to get sinister because according to the Manhattan DA's office, quote, rather than making any effort to ensure they actually had rightful ownership, the defendants responded by engaging in a years-long campaign to prevent Henley from recovering the manuscripts. How did they do that, Elizabeth? I don't know. Great question. <laughs> For five years, Kaczynski and Inciardi, they tried to pull a con job on Don Henley. Not like the like the dog Don Henley. He's going to stay on that bone. Trust me. Right. But allegedly, these guys, they tried to pull this con job. Manhattan DA said, quote, the two men attempted to use a false statement of provenance to coerce Don Henley into buying back his stolen property. No They tried way. to con him with his own stuff. That's not all. These same two cats, allegedly, were also trying to launder the lyric sheets through either one of the prestigious auction houses, so Christie's or mm-hmm, Sotheby's. Mm-hmm. They specifically requested that Sotheby's lie to any potential buyers about Henley's legal claim. Just don't mention them. If he says it, say that they've been cleared up. Kind of that oh, kind of talk. Wow. So around this time, NYPD enters the dispute. 
dispute, right? So in December 2016, the Manhattan DA's office, quote, executed a series of search warrants and retrieved Don Henley's stolen manuscripts from Sotheby's and from Kaczynski's New Jersey residence, including 84 pages to songs from the album Hotel California. So now the NYPD and specifically the Manhattan DA, they have all 100 pages, right? But now that the heat is on, co-defendant Horowitz, (laughs) he steps back into the picture, right? So the rare books dealer and scholar grifter, he has a plan to avoid any criminal prosecution. And it starts with him and it goes downriver from there, right? He creates a fake provenance for how he came to own the lyrics. Mm -hmm. So Glenn Fry unexpectedly died in January 2016. Mm -hmm. Horowitz, he's like, that's an opportunity for me. So he claims that the lyric sheets were given to him by Glenn Fry. And since Glenn Fry is now dead, who can argue? So Horowitz, though, he messed up because he went and he sent emails about their plan. Oh, people, you're kidding. People, never put a crime in writing. <laughs> yes. Like, I always feel like Stringer Bell when I'm saying this figure from The Wire, <laughs> but, like, the rare book dealers, he did exactly that. The dude yeah. took notes on his own criminal conspiracy. Insane. Anyway, in an email he wrote, quote, Glenn Fry, alas, is dead, and, indi- and identifying him as the source would make this go away once and for all. Now, you may be wondering why anyone would believe the stories of these amateur Cohen Brothers criminals, but Inciardi, he's the curator from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. What? Yes, he had gravitas, reputation. The dude, ever since the indictment dropped, he's now been on leave from the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. But he, his illustrious career is in jeopardy. The guy, he curated the Beatles interactive exhibit for the, he's been handling a lot of people's papers and all that. So he needs this to go his way, right? He has a lot to lose. And meanwhile, the legal team for his co-defendant, Kozinski, he claims this is all big misunderstanding. It's nonsense. Uh, Flapdoodle, right? And back in 1979, the Eagles apparently signed a contract giving over materials to the biographer, right? Everybody agrees on Mm -hmm. this somewhat. Mm -hmm. He argues now, years later, once the cocaine finally drained from their brains, the bandmates (laughs) want to recover the lyrics that they gave away. That's not their legal right. Now, th- that's not clearly explicitly stated in the contract, right? Yeah, it's yeah. always under the idea that it's for the book. So right. if there's no book, then you have no reason. Anyway, right. the rare book dealer, scholar, grifter, he has even more expensive lawyers. So Horowitz's legal team, he they fired back at the Manhattan DA's office. They said that the charges and the legal arguments were fallacious, uh, unfounded, right? And they, that's a quote, <laughs> the fallacious. He said, it's clever what they did, but they don't have any evidence. Now, when I looked at it, I think they do have evidence, but whatever, yeah. it doesn't matter. I found that the case went to court in January, but there was no more local news. So I was like, wait, January of this year, right? So the reports just, they, were, they went before the judge, and that was it. And so I reached out to the Manhattan's DA's office <laughs> for comment, right? Yes. And uh, Karen Wynn, the press officer for Manhattan DA's office, she was kind enough to write me back. Mm-hmm. And she said, quote, hi, Zaren. Thanks for reaching out. The case has not yet gone to trial and still in the pretrial stage. For background, decisions were issued on January 13th, 2023, regarding the first set of pretrial motions. Uh, See attached for those decisions from the court. The case was on last week, uh, April 12th, for an update on discovery. The next court date is May 12th, 2023. Best K. So there you go. It's still on. This story is far from over. If uh, Horowitz, the scholar grifter, is convicted, he was looking at five to 15 years. Uh Kaczynski and Inciardi, they will be facing one to three years in prison, maximum of eight to 25. Whoa. That's some serious prison time yeah now uh oh the lyrics would be returned to don henley because glenn fry is deceased so you know watch this space and keep your fingers (laughs) crossed for glenn and for don who knows anyway don't be surprised if the eagles are also once again involved in something sinister or you know some kind of lawsuit it's kind of their thing hey listen anyway what's your ridiculous takeaway elizabeth (sighs) you know i think i'm gonna go with you on don't put your plans in writing if they're criminal if you're planning on doing something that's a lie do not write it down and i'm still i'm kind of stunned at the market for rock memorabilia nuts yeah that's crazy yeah and what's funny is that kurt cobain complained about the prices that people charge for guitars of famous people because he asked david geffen to loan him the money so he could buy lead belly's guitar yeah right and he's like oh i want lead belly's guitar but david geffen will you loan me the money and now here his guitar from that performance is now worth the six million dollars wow uh, cycles it's crazy anyway thanks for listening thank that you was... thank you zaren hey that was for you thank that was you. your favorite song it is you can find us online if you like uh, Ridiculous Crime on Twitter and Instagram uh, for the updates on upcoming episode drops. And hey, look at that. Now we have a website, RidiculousCrime.com. That's for the jam and for the jelly. Uh, there's stuff to find on there, fun stuff, clothing stuff, rude dude stuff, stuff for you. <laughs> so lastly, you can also email us if you want at RidiculousCrime at gmail.com. <laughs> 
Ridiculous Crime is hosted by Elizabeth Dutton and Zaren Burnett. Produced and edited by Don Henley Imitator and historic 70s reenactor Dave Kustin. Research is by Marissa. Please don't call me Jackson Brown. And Andrea, man, I didn't steal your song, Sharp and Tear. Our theme song is by Laurel Canyon Layabouts, Thomas Lee and Travis Dutton. Executive producers are Ben, you know the Eagles are actually a psyop bowling. And Noel, well, did you know my street name is, sorry, Miss Jackson Brown. Ridiculous Crime. Say it one more time. Ridiculous Crime. Ridiculous Crime is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Hey guys, this is Paris Hilton. Trapped in Treatment is back, and this season we're taking on WASP, the worldwide association of specialty programs and schools. They held us in dog cages. They starved us. They beat us was trying to brand us. So we were going to become the McDonald's in treatment. Join my host as they unravel the story of the largest and most shocking organization in the history of the troubled teen industry. Listen to season two of Trapped in Treatment on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, guys. Nancy Grace here, host of podcast Crime Stories with Nancy Grace. I've dedicated my life to fighting crime and helping crime victims. For a decade, I prosecuted violent felonies. Every day is a mission. Every day is a chance to stop crime and keep one more person safe. Listen to Crime Stories with Nancy Grace on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.